Wow. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Glad to be back with you. I've had a, a blast. My family and I, we went up to uh, Idaho. Idaho. I had somebody come up to me and said, I heard you were in Hawaii. Nope, the opposite. I was in the exact opposite place of Hawaii. I was in Idaho. We were doing a camp for a church in Washington. And you're not going to believe this. I saw something that was just incredible. They've got this stuff. It comes from the sky. It, it collects on the ground. It's really wet water. They have a ton of water. And I felt, honestly, they're being a little selfish. Like, gravity works. Move it south. Like, give us some of the water. No, but we had a lot of fun, and it was great to, to speak uh, for the church and to just see uh, students' lives change. It was really, really, really awesome. And one of the things I learned while I was in Washington is that dangerous things, are not necessarily bad. Dangerous things are not necessarily bad. I learned that because in Washington, because they have so much water, everything is green. Everything is green. Even the asphalt is green. It's incredible. But they don't worry about sneezing and starting a fire like we do here in California, right? And so they're allowed on 4th of July to blow up anything and everything. And so all these Washingtonians or whatever they're called, right? They knew I was coming from California, and so we bought all these fireworks, and we happened to know somebody who worked at a fireworks stand, so he gave us everything for, like, really, really cheap. And there's a rumor, I'm not going to say I'm complicit to this, but I can neither confirm nor deny that some of the fireworks may not have been approved of. And so they couldn't, in good conscience, sell them, so they gave them to the pastor coming from California. And then they gave me a lighter, and said, have fun. I'll tell you what, I had fun. I had a lot of fun. We shot off over 130 cannons. I mean, like in the air, blowing up. It was awesome. And I only have one little burn. Just, just one right there, so I'm totally fine. Right? Dangerous things can be good. Fireworks, perfect example. But you can think of other things. Dangerous things that aren't necessarily bad. Right? Like a, a, a cutting knife. Right? You can use that to cut some brisket, right? Or, or, or a surgeon's scalpel. That, that could be life-saving. Or, or the comfort that comes from a, a nice fire, right, in your fireplace. All of these things are good. In fact, there's a ton of things, powerful things, that, that mankind has discovered that are both helpful and harmful at the same time. These are dangerous powers, powers like, like dynamite. Or, or fire, or, or nuclear energy, right? Dynamite can blow up the side of a, a mountain to allow you to pass through certain areas, areas via the railroad or roads or something like that, help commerce and, and transportation happen. A, a, a fire could cook a meal, but it could also burn down a house, right? Nuclear energy could, could, could power a city. Sadly, it could also annihilate a village, there are things that are dangerous, dangerously powerful, that can be both helpful and harmful. It's how we respond to them. It's how we use them. And as we close out this series, Jesus' farewell tours, we're calling it, Jesus is closing out his public ministry. And this is the end. We're in the last part of this series. And this is where Jesus, from this moment on, will become very private. He'll speak only to his disciples, and then he'll speak to his Father in prayer, and then he'll be arrested. And then the crucifixion will take place and then his resurrection. So this is the end of Jesus' public ministry. And the last message he gives to the public is this. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous. I, I, I'm almost like the sun. The sun is incredibly powerful, right? You can harness the energy of the sun via solar power or solar panels, right? Or the sun can cause cancer, it causes skin cancer. It's powerful. But how we react to it, how we respond to it, determines if it's harmful or helpful to us. This is what Jesus is going to do at the very close of his ministry. He's going to say this. I'm the most dangerous human to ever exist. I'm the God-man. And how you respond to me can be very dangerous to yourself. Jesus is going to ask us to get very serious. Ask, ask us to be very sober in our judgment of him. 
And kind of like dynamite, kind of like nuclear energy, how we respond has huge consequences. And I think what we're going to see is this. We're going to see that Jesus is the most dangerous person to have ever existed in human history. That because of his great power and who he is, he can be our greatest help to our greatest need. Or in rejecting him, he can become the reason for our greatest harm because we've rejected his message. This is what Jesus will cry out to the public audience, hoping that they'll finally take him seriously. So open your Bible to John chapter 12. I want to show you this. John chapter 12 as we close out this chapter. And I think we could summarize the main idea of what Jesus says to this kind of very public audience. I think we could summarize it this way. It's with our big idea for today. So if you want to write down one thing, you're going to take one note, one sentence you're going to put down on a piece of paper, you're going to put it in your phone or whatever. What I want you to write down is this. The obedient son is dangerous. The obedient son is dangerous. That's our big idea. The obedient son is dangerous. And here's what I want to show you. I want to take those kind of first two parts. The obedience of Jesus and the sonship of Jesus. Because this is really what Jesus is going to talk about. This is what he's going to highlight as he's closing out his public ministry. He's going to talk about who he is, his identity, his sonship. And then he's going to talk about his obedience, the things that he does. And it's these two realities right here, that Jesus is the son of God, and that Jesus is the obedient Son of God and has clearly communicated the Father's message to humanity. Because of these two realities, He is dangerous. He is dangerous. How you respond to Him has eternal consequences. Could be of great gain or could be of ultimate loss. And here's what we're going to do as we approach this passage. I want you to think of this passage as like a delicious Oreo cookie. Okay, I'm sorry if that distracts you for the entirety of the service, okay? A delicious Oreo cookie. You have chocolate, cream filling, chocolate. Here's what we're going to see. The two kind of chocolate pieces are really about who Jesus is and what he does. It's about his sonship and then his obedience. And then right in the middle of those two cookies that speak about who Jesus is and what he does, in the middle are the consequences of our response to that obedient son. And that's where we see that he's dangerous. So let's look at the cookies first. So you're going to see we're going to jump kind of in the beginning of our passage, then the end, and then we'll hit the middle. So let's go. John chapter 12. I'm starting with verse 44. John chapter 12, starting with verse 44. The first thing we're going to see is Jesus' sonship. Who is Jesus? His identity. Verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Now we can just stop right there. Just to get the seriousness of what Jesus is doing. He's closing out his public ministry. And it doesn't just say, hey, he made a loud announcement. It says he's crying out this announcement. John has used this verb, this language before. And every time he's used it so far, it means like a a, a public declaration. I mean, it's loud. You can feel Jesus in this kind of transition in his public ministry. He almost feels like, all right, I got, I got one more shot. One more shot with the large crowd. One more shot. Because after this, he'll retreat. Only be with his disciples and only be with his father in prayer until he is crucified later. So this is his last shot to the crowd. So it's almost like he hits the microphone. Is this thing on? And he yells us out, please, you have to hear me. If you've been with me for several years, you've watched me feed people miraculously. You've watched me heal people. You've watched me talk about my death. You've watched me talk about my resurrection. Please, if you have not responded yet, hear me when I say, I am the Son of God. Look at what Jesus says. He cries out to us and says this, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Now just stop here. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, and we've seen this throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus is saying, I am the Son of God. Who has sent the Son? The Father has. And he says, I'm so united with the Father, so united with the one who has sent me. When you look at me, you see him. 
When you believe in me, you see him. We've seen the converse to be true. When you don't believe in me, it shows you don't believe in the Father. When you don't follow after me, then you don't follow after the Father. Jesus has united himself to the Father very, very clearly. In fact, this was the message of John that he wanted to communicate from the very beginning of this gospel. Right, go all the way back to the beginning. John chapter 1, let me show you this. John chapter 1, just so you see the unity that John finds incredibly important. John chapter 1, it's the first two verses of John's gospel. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Stop right there. With God. What does that mean? That means there's distinction. There's this and this, and this is with this. There's a plurality, if you will. There's two people mentioned. But then what he's doing, the very next statement, he shows the unity of God. There is a plurality to God, and there's a singleness to God. And then the next statement, he says, the word was with God, and the word was God. You see that balance? So wedded are these two, they cannot be separated. You cannot fracture the harmony of the Trinity. When you see one, you see the other. It's not like you don't see the Son, or see the Father, or see the Holy Spirit. You see them, you acknowledge them, but it's so hard not to see the others when you see them, because they're so connected. There's distinction. There's clearly three persons of the Godhead, but yet there is one God. Now, that's a mystery beyond us, but the Bible forces us to find that balance, that singleness and plurality to God at the same time. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When you see me, you see the Father. When you believe in me, you believe in the Father. We just went through this. Go to John chapter 10. Let me show you again this kind of balance that John is forcing us to, that Jesus is forcing us to. John chapter 10, look at this, verse 30, very simple sentence. I, this is Jesus speaking, and the Father are one. Now, look at that very simple sentence. Two key words there, and and are. I and the Father. What is that, what is that saying? When you use the word and, what are you doing? You're listing things. Honey, get onions and tomatoes, right? You're listing things. That means there's two things. So clearly we have plurality here, right? I and the Father. But then the next word, what does he say? Are one. Now he's talking unity. This is hard for us to understand, right? It's really hard for the God of the Bible to fit into our human minds. But isn't that as it should be? I mean, the God that fits in your mind, guess what? Was a creation of that mind. Yes, God should make sense. God should be sensible. This truth should be logical. But there's a sense in which it should be beyond us. Because if we can understand everything, I'd be very suspicious that we made up everything. But if there's things in this book that stretch us, we say, I don't know how it works. My mind has to catch up to this book. And so there should be things that stretch me. If this is the God of the universe who exists out of space and time and is non-physical, all the things that I am, clearly he exists in a different way than I do. And when Jesus communicates to us, he's saying, I am the Son of God. I am one of the persons of the Trinity. You see me, you see the Father. You believe in me, you believe in the Father. Now what does this do for us? It shows us that Jesus is serious. His identity is clear. We know who he is. Jesus will say later to Philip in John chapter 14, he'll tell him, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is clearly stating, I'm God. I could never make that statement as a human being. Guys, if you see Paul Crandall, you've seen God. Wouldn't that sound a little weird? Right? If you believe in Paul, you've believed in God. No, like that wouldn't work. How could Jesus say this? It's because Jesus is the Son of God. He is one of the members of the Trinity. And when you see him, you see the other members as well. It's beautiful harmony. 
of plurality and singleness at the same time. It's beyond us. It stretches us. But Jesus communicates it to us. Why? Because he wants to take serious who he is. You cannot trifle with God. You, you, you can't just admire him. You can't just have a casual acquaintance with him. You can't just maybe be slightly inspired by him. You can't just respect him. You have to worship him. So Jesus crying out, here I am. I'm God. I'm the son of God. And then he'll say later to us, I'm the obedient son of God. All right, look down at, at our passage, John tw- chapter 12. We're going to skip kind of the middle portion. I want you to go to verse 49. Verse 49. As the son of God, he is the obedient son of God. Listen to this, verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I know this, that his, commandments, or his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now go back to verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority. Right at the front, here's what this kind of sounds like. It kind of sounds like, have you ever found yourself in a situation, maybe your middle management or something like that, and, and your boss comes to you and says, hey man, you need to have a conversation with one of your employees. You need to let them go. But I don't want to do it. Right, he doesn't say that to you. <laughs> but he says, but I need you to do it. This is part of your job. Ugh. And then like, say you love this guy, right? You love this guy, he's a decent employee. In fact, you become kind of friends. It's kind of how you manage. You're just kind of personal like that. You've had him over for barbecues. You know his kids. And you're like, dude, I got to terminate this dude. Ah, uh, right? And so you go in there, and you know this guy's gone. Like, you know, there's nothing you could do about it. Your hand is forced. But you love this guy. You care about this guy. And you're thinking about, well, we're going to do fireworks on 4th of July. And I'd love it if he didn't turn the firework at me. Right? So you think to yourself, here's what I'll do. I'll take this posture of, don't shoot the messenger. Right? Hey, man, it's not my fault. Right? You walk in there, like, you know, Bruce, I love you. Man, I care about you. I care about your kids. You know, you know Steve is just, he's, he's not a great guy, you know. And, and so he's told me, I got I to gotta let you go. If I was Steve, if I was in his position, I wouldn't do it to you. I wouldn't. Uh, please, don't, please don't shoot the messenger. I'm not speaking on my own accord. I'm speaking on, on his authority. He's the one who told me to do this. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus saying, well, I'm not speaking on my own authority, right? Is Jesus saying, well, don't shoot the messenger. I, I, I'm, we're good, right? No, Jesus is not playing the blame game. Right? Jesus is not trying to get out of it. Jesus is not disagreeing with it. He's not trying to push the blame onto somebody else. Well, it's the Father's fault if you don't like what I'm saying. What is Jesus talking about? It's not blame, it's dependence. He's saying every single word I have spoken, he told me to speak. I'm obedient. I'm a clear communicator of God's word. I'm a precise prophet. Everything he said has not got mixed in translation, has not got lost in translation. From the Father to us, through the Son, I haven't missed one single word. Now look at how Jesus describes the words he's given. Because it's very interesting how he describes it. Again, Jesus is not passing blame. Jesus is showing dependence. Again, verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. That sounds weird. That sounds strange. If you've been journeying with us through the Gospel of John, you might find this as an odd phrase for Jesus to use when it describes his ministry and his teaching, the term commandment. This is the first time we've ever seen Jesus use this word commandment when he refers to how he obeys the Father. Now, if you're a reader of the Bible, you might think to yourself, wait, this kind of sparks something in my memory. Who has given commands to God's people from God? Who took commandments that were delivered by God to themselves and delivered it to the people? Moses. 
the great giver of the Ten Commandments. Now, he's going to deliver a lot more than ten, but that's how it first came. He delivered God's commandments. What is John doing here for us? As he highlights this quote from Jesus about commandments, here's what Jesus, I think, is doing. Jesus is saying, I'm the new Moses. I'm the better Moses. Moses went up on a mountain, got God's commandments written on stone tablets by in his own hand. Perfect calligraphy. Perfect. And then Moses delivered those commands to the people. Well, if you know the full story, it actually took him two tries. He got so mad the first time when he saw the rebellion of the people, he smashed the commandments. So he had to go back up there and get copy number two and then bring it to the people. So did, did, was Moses obedient? Sure he was. Did Moses communicate the commandments? Sure he did. Did it take him two tries? Yes, it did. But not for Jesus. It didn't take two at-bats for Jesus. He got up, first pitch, he knocked it out of the park. Perfect, obedient prophet. Jesus saying, I am the one who communicates the commands very clearly. I didn't smash the stone tablets on the mountain in anger. I was a faithful son, obedient to every single word. And this is what the people were expecting. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is the book and, and speeches, collection of speeches, speeches that Moses gave right before he died as the people were entering into the promised land. And Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, there's going to be a prophet like me who is coming. You better listen to him. This is who Jesus says he is. I'm the guy you've been waiting for. I'm the prophet like Moses. I'm delivering the commands of God, but I do it perfectly. So you must listen to what I'm saying. If you can recall the giving of those commandments, when God brought his people out of Egypt, he brought them out of slavery, and then he wanted to meet with his people. And the people of Israel saw God display himself as incredibly powerful, and he was incredibly dangerous to his enemies. As Pharaoh continued to reject and reject and reject God's word, God continued to flex his muscles show off his power, and he broke the Egyptians supernaturally through plagues. He didn't need the swords and the spears and the shields of Israel to fight the Egyptians. They plundered them because God showed himself off. Wow. And then God said, I want to meet with you guys. I've redeemed you. So I'm going to meet you on a mountain. But be ready, because I'm coming. And the dangerous one you saw break the world power of the day. I'm coming to meet with you. And God shows up. And you know how the people respond? In fear. God shakes the mountain, speaks in thunder and lightning. And the people say, no, 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 we're good. Like, can we FaceTime from here on out? Like, this is too much for us. Like, you show up, man, this is, you are powerful. You are dangerous. It's like standing before the, the sheer power of a nuclear reactor. They're thinking, nope, I'm good. It may power the city, but I don't want to turn into Spider-Man or something like that if I get too close to the Hulk. Like, I'm good. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the new Moses, and I am the better Moses because I am God. Just like the one who shook the mountain and people were in fear and they saw how serious and how dangerous and how powerful the redeeming God is, here I am. It's like that encounter that the people of Israel had on Mount Sinai when God showed up. They knew how dangerous he was, how powerful he was. And Jesus is saying, this is the very same thing that's happening to you right now. I'm giving God's word to you clearly. Every single word. I haven't missed one. All right, go to John chapter 8. Let me just show you how this has been the testimony of Jesus over and over again. Not that he's just the Son of God, but that he's the obedient Son of God in word and in deed. He hasn't missed one opportunity. He hasn't changed one word. He hasn't missed a word. He said everything correctly, completely dependent upon the Father to communicate his message to humanity. Look at John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's him, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. I never step out. 
I always stay in my lane. I always stay according to the plan of God. I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. All my words are his words. And he goes further, not just only in speech, but in deed. Verse 29. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In word and in deed, he is the perfect, obedient son. Wow. Do you see why he's dangerous? Nothing lost. Nothing lost in translation. The perfect communicator. Precise, clear, accurate, with all the authority of the creator of the universe. And Jesus is crying out, please, 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 if you've been with me, please, if you've been near me, please realize who I am. You see me, you see the Son of God. And as I've communicated to you, I haven't lost anything. I haven't missed anything. There's nothing hidden. There's no extra chapters. I've given you everything. You are encountering a perfect delivery by God himself to you. That makes what I say dangerous. Very dangerous. As serious and careful as we are, the closer we get to a powerful thing is as serious and careful we must be as we approach the Son of God completely obedient to the Father's commands. Look how Jesus shows how serious we need to be. Let's go to the cream filling. Right? We did the cookies. Mmm, delicious. I mean, all the best part of the Oreo is what? That cream filling, right? That's what you fight over. When you twist that cookie, then you hand it to your siblings, which one do you take? Yeah, you take the one with the most cream filling. You do, right? Let's be honest. You're a selfish person. Hey, so am I. It's in all of us. If you're ever worried about the, or don't, don't believe in the sinfulness of humanity, get an Oreo. Just get an Oreo and ask them to divide it, and you will see the carnality of man display itself in full force. John chapter 12, let's see this obedient son is dangerous. John tw- chapter 12, we're in verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as the light. John uses this term to talk about like, like the clarity of knowledge. It's not just only knowing things right, though. He's saying God illuminates the truth. He shows you how to live. He, he brightens up everything. The world now is in darkness, in, dis, in dismay. It's in ignorance. And there's also a tyranny to this darkness. This darkness has, has reign over you. It has control over you. We are victims of it. We are the creators of it, but now we are victims of our own sin and brokenness. And now Satan, death, and brokenness reign in the dominion of darkness. And Jesus says, I have come to light things up. To show you God's truth, but also to bring light. Think of the light of the sun. The light of the sun shows you the terrain, but it also brings up grass. Right? It also allows vegetation to grow. This is the best way to think of light when we think in biblical terms. Think of sunlight. Think of life. Not just clarity of thought. Not just proper information, but life-giving source. That's what Jesus says. I have come to do this. I'm breaking into this darkness to show you the truth and to give you life. I don't want you in darkness. I've come into the world as the light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I've come to save. I've come to free. No more brokenness. No more reign of the devil. No more struggle with sin. No more, no more uh, rebellion from our Creator. No more living a purposeless, aimless life, trying to fill the void that is in us because we've been separated from God with every other trifle thing that never satisfies. No more of that. I have come, and I've come to say, I'm the obedient Son of God, and I'm here to die for you. Jesus describes His obedience not only in the message He communicates, not only in the miracles that He does, but in the death that He dies. That's how obedient this Son is. He carries his obedience all the way to the point of his own crucifixion. But that is our redemption. Now here's the part that's, that's hard. And I think is really the emphasis of what Jesus is saying here. 
Okay, this is kind of the, the fly, if you will, that landed on the cream filling. As delightful it is to hear that Jesus is the light of God, who's come to free us from darkness, there's another side of that coin. And this is, I would say, one of the hard parts about Christianity, about the Bible, is there's not really three responses. We try to live in a world of three responses. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to not follow Jesus and live my life completely in the other direction. Or we'd wish that there was this third response. Well, I'll just kind of be on the sideline. I'm not for him. I'm not against him. I'm just going to live my life. We'll see what happens. The sad thing is that third option is the second option. That's still a rejection of Jesus. And that doesn't work. And Jesus won't give us the third option. Indifference is not an option. Indifference is a choice. Indifference is still rejection. Not following when he says follow the clear command only through me are you going to find life. Only through me are you going to find truth. To go anywhere else or look anywhere else is to reject that claim. Jesus has a singular claim, an exclusive claim on truth, on life. There is no light beside him. To not go after the one light that's out there is to make a choice to do what? To be in darkness. Maybe you're a different space of that darkness, but you're still in darkness. And that's what Jesus sees. Look how serious he gets, and I think he gives more attention to this. And this is where the obedient son becomes dangerous. He's come as a savior. Free us from darkness, verse 47. If anyone hears my words, again, think of the obedient son. Here's my words, which are the father's words. Clearly communicated. Every single word I said was from him. And I said it as the son of God. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I come to the world, or come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now that may sound a little weird. If you remember from John chapter 5, if you're with us as we started this series, Jesus does call himself a judge, that he will judge. Well, how does that not contradict what's said right here? Jesus says, I don't judge, my word judges. Well, I, got, I think we've got to think of it more in a time frame. Jesus just said, I came into the world to do what? To say, I'm the light. I don't want you to remain in darkness. I think what Jesus is talking about is, right now, what is my job? Right now, what is my task? To be Savior, not judge, yet. But there is a day that I will judge. There's a day that I will sit on a throne and judge everyone. But that day is not yet. Right now I've come to save, to deliver people from darkness. But there is a day where judgment will come. And look at how Jesus describes it. If anyone hears my words, I'm going to start with verse 47 because I want to get the flow of what what we're doing here. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I had come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now, Jesus has used the term last day, and we've seen that. We saw uh, several times in John chapter 6. But it was very pleasant last day. Jesus talked about raising people to life, those who believe in him, on the last day. Well, this is the dark side of the last day. It's a day of judgment. Now, notice what Jesus did. Who is doing the judging in the end? It says his word. Now, is it Jesus? Yes. You cannot separate Jesus from his word. You can't do that. That won't work. But why? Why did Jesus say, I have come to save, and my word will judge you at the end? Again, we can't separate Jesus from his word. So Jesus, of course, is still the judge. But why does he say it differently? What Jesus is doing there, he's kind of describing how his act of salvation and his act of judgment aren't exactly the same. Here's what I think Jesus emphasizes. He's saying, my word that I've communicated will judge them if they reject it. I think what Jesus is doing in this is Jesus is trying to show the responsibility we have in judgment. He's showing this, that, that judgment isn't really something that happens to you, as more so it's something that you let happen to yourself. It's something we could have avoided. Think of it this way. We're not victims of God's judgment. 
If you almost think of it like a car crash, we're at fault in the judgment of God. We have driven our car into the condemnation of God. We could have avoided it. We had our hands on the steering wheel. There it was. We saw it. It was a big rig. It was bigger than us. We were in a Prius, right? They've got more wheels than a transformer coming right at us. And we could have avoided it. We could have. His words would have illuminated our path, shown us the way out, given us life, helped us to swerve, to avoid the judgment of God. And Jesus says, that's why I came, to get you out of a crash course, a crash accident with the condemnation of God. But in your stubbornness, you white-knuckled that steering wheel until you ran straight into the judgment of God. That's what he's saying here. That word will judge you. It'll happen to you. Yes, it won't be something that you're delighted in, but it'll be something that you didn't avoid. That's what Jesus is saying. How dangerous is the obedient son of God? Think about it for a moment. The consequences that Jesus is speaking of here. I think of it on the positive side. Jesus said, I'm here to lift you out of darkness and bring you into a place of light. Jesus is talking about eternal gain here. He's talking about eternal joy here. That's what he's talking about. If you thought of your life compared to your entire existence, your life would be like a drop, a drop in the ocean of your existence. And if we receive Christ in this life, in this small little speck of your existence, what do we gain? An ocean of delight. An ocean of bliss, an ocean of truth, an an ocean of union, of relationship, of communion with God. This is the greatest gain you could ever have in your life. This is an eternal lottery that you have won forever, and there's no capital gains tax. None of that. Think about that. If you are a drop, just a drop of your existence is in the present, the here, and now. No matter how dark and damaging and and, and the hardships you face for following Christ, they are minuscule. They are swallowed in the ocean of delight that the Son has given you. He's given you life. Now the flip side of that. If our life is but a drop, a drop in the ocean of our existence, then if we reject Jesus Christ, If we reject reject the words of the one who is God, who has communicated every word from God, clearly and accurately, not misrepresented in any way, not added a thought or changed a verb, none of that. It's all clear. If we reject that, then we are setting ourselves against the greatest power in the universe. No matter how bright that drop is, No matter how many little sparkles of joy found in that little drop of life, it is eclipsed and it is swallowed by the darkest ocean. That joy drowns itself for eternity in the depths of darkness that we will suffer forever. That is the greatest harm. The worst thing that could be happened, that could ever happen to you, is described right here, as is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, is described right here. And you only have two options. You only have two options. You must be serious with it. You must take this with certainty. There is no greater gamble that you could take than to just be indifferent to the claims of Jesus Christ. The obedient son is dangerous. So let me ask you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Maybe that's you. Maybe that describes you. You're obedient to God. You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me ask you a very simple question. Do you know how dangerous Jesus is? Do you know how dangerous he is? How powerful he is? Death was the undefeated champion of humanity until Jesus got in the ring. Death had claimed everyone. The curse of sin had not been reversed. 
by anybody until Jesus came into the equation. And then he conquered sin and death by dying and rising again as a sacrifice for our sins. He took on the full wrath of God for us that was going to justly fall on us for our crimes against the sovereign creator of the universe. He took that full blow, the full sentence. And he didn't just, you know, get half a sentence because of good behavior. No, he had great behavior, but he took on the full sentence. The full wrath of God was just unleashed on the sun, and he took it on the chin. And he rose again from the grave. Ask Satan. Ask death. Ask darkness how dangerous Jesus is. Ask him. When Jesus encounters any demonic forces, does he get afraid? No way! These demonic forces that terrify us, we make movies about them, we have nightmares about them. Jesus is the nightmare of demons. Jesus comes in and they shake and they go, oh, ah, throw us into pigs, right? Right? Send us into bacon, right? They quiver. They shake. They know how dangerous the Son of God is. They know it. They know how powerful He is. They know that through His death, He has conquered. He has conquered them. He has risen victorious. He is the King, and He parades His victory before them and says, look what I can do. The tyranny that is upon all humanity, I have broken it. I have liberated my people, and I have freed them from the burden of the law. The law crushes us all. Right? You, you know it. To, to do what God wants you to do in hand and in heart, is impossible. It's a burden that breaks you. It's a burden that disappoints you. You've felt it. You've, you've called yourself uh, really terrible things. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just a bad person, right? I'm sorry. I've had these habits, and I got these hang-ups, and I got this brokenness, and, and I've been hurt, and now I hurt, and I've got all these things. I'm just wrapped up in this, and I can't. I can't meet the burden of the law of God. I cannot gain a righteousness of my own, and yet look how dangerous Jesus is to the burden of the law. He completes it all. He not only forgives you of all your debt, he hands you an eternal credit, his righteousness, right there. How dangerous is the Son of God? So, follower of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, how dangerous do you see the obedient Son of God? How dangerous? Look back at at chapter 12 and look at that verse. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. How dangerous is Jesus when it comes to the darkness you still suffer from? Yes, we've been freed from our sin and our shame. We're liberated from the tyranny that used to be over us, but we still struggle, we still stumble, we still fall, we still disappoint. We still find ourselves doing those habits that we used to do. We still succumb to temptation. Christian, it's time to recognize how dangerous your Savior is. How powerful your Savior is. Don't trifle with him. Just, just, just don't admire him. Don't just ask him for simple things. That sin that you can't get rid of, the helplessness and hopelessness you feel when you, when you try to overcome maybe your addiction to pornography, or, or, or maybe it is, maybe it's meth. I don't know what, what you came with, but let's be honest, right? I just talked to a dear brother that I love. Got caught up in fentanyl. It had his life for a year. I, I just got to see him uh, about a couple months ago and just feeling the liberty he now has as he's given his life back over to the Lord. There are addictions and habits you can't stop. You weren't designed for it. You're broken. If you never feel helpless and hopeless in the Christian pursuit, then you don't know the path that's before you. You should feel crushed every day. I can't do it. Lord, I can't do it. I can't meet it. But I know how dangerous my Savior is. I know how powerful my Savior is. And Romans 8 tells me I need to put to death the deeds of the flesh. How? By the Spirit. Christ has sent the Spirit in my life and says, you're going to need help. Let me give you some ammo, right? Let me load you up. Christian, this week, just confess that to God, whatever it is. 
Maybe it's just impatience, right? It doesn't have to be a, a drug. Maybe it's anger. Maybe right now, you're just, you're riddled with worry and anxiety, right? It's crippling you. It's crushing you. You've lost friends, maybe family members to the virus. and you, you, Getting back to normal seems like impossible, right? Maybe it's depression. You just find yourself just randomly throughout the day being sad. It's never happened to you before. Life seems totally different. Oh, please, please confess that to God. Call out to the Savior who does not want you to remain in darkness, does not want you to remain in brokenness. He is powerful, and he can deliver you. I pray that you have some messy prayers with God this week, where you just get on your knees and you say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't break this habit. I can't break this cycle. I'm in this rhythm of darkness. I can hide it. That's all I'm good at doing. But even then it still comes out. I need to have victory over it. And I believe that through you and through your spirit that you sent, I can live that victorious life. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, I challenge you this week to have a messy prayer with God. Let out the mess then ask that dangerous, obedient son to give you victory over that mess. And maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just came to church because you're like, you know what, it's time to just maybe, maybe start thinking about spiritual things. I'll ask you the same question. Do you know how dangerous he is? Do you know how dangerous he is? Jesus is not just a thought to be explored in the pursuit of understanding human history in the ancient world. Jesus Christ is not just a figure of ancient history we should admire, like, wow, this guy had some impact. It's true, we split our calendar by his birth. He seems to be a very significant man. He started a movement that still hasn't died after 2,000 years ago. He was a poor peasant man, really only had like three years of itinerant ministry. But he was born to nobody. And he died a criminal's death. And yet history cannot ignore him. There are ten sources, ancient sources, that tell us about the Roman emperor of the day, Tiberius Caesar, who lived during the time of Jesus, the most powerful man of the time in the ancient world during the time of Jesus. Ten sources that speak of his life. There are 42 sources that speak about Jesus Christ, his existence, and what he did. That is remarkable. There are four times the amount of information about Jesus Christ, this peasant teacher who died a criminal's death, was treated as a felon than the Roman emperor of the day. But Jesus is not just a significant character in history. He is the obedient son of God. You have to do something with him. And to do nothing is to make a choice. My encouragement to you, and I'm not telling you to believe what I believe simply because I believe it, What I'm telling you to do is be certain. Be certain. Because the gamble that you take, the risk that is before you, what you do with Jesus is of of ultimate consequence. There There is nothing, no other choice in your life that is more binding than what you do with Jesus. We soberly look at the interest rate on our 30 year fixed mortgage, right? Because we think, wow, 30 years is a lot. Right? We think about before we say, I do. I better take this seriously. I don't really want to get divorced. I want to deal with that mess. And if we commit our life to somebody, we do that very soberly with certainty, right? How about your eternity? That's more than 30 years. That's more than your life. It's your entire existence forever. If you ignore the ocean of your existence but give so much certainty to the drop issues in your life, friend, is that not foolish? Again, if you answer the question different than I answer the question, that's fine. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to care about you. But here's what I hope and I pray for is that you enter that transition of this life. You go to death's door with certainty. Either I don't believe and here's why, or I do believe and here's why. Do not trifle with the obedient son of God. You are playing with something extremely, eternally dangerous. So my prayer for you 
is that you'd come to recognize he's the one and the only one to bring you out of darkness. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. Oh, Father, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. We can call you Father. What a wonderful thing that is. Father, we celebrate the independence you've given us from the tyranny of death, from the enslavement that we suffered from Satan, from the darkness and the brokenness that we were just saturated with. We lived in a pit of our own creation. We submitted ourselves to the dominion of darkness, and we've been ruled by it all of our lives. But then our great liberator came, And as excited as we get to blow up stuff on the 4th of July celebrating independence, there is no greater independence than liberty from sin, death, and the devil. Oh, Christ, you are our great liberator. You have freed us. And now we face an eternity that is fabulous, that is union with you, union with the Father, communion with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Father, I pray that you'd help us realize how powerful your son is. I pray that we realize how powerful the Holy Spirit is in us. As followers of Jesus Christ, Father, I I pray that we just get real with you this week. Confess our brokenness before you and say, I need help. But Father, give us, give us optimism. Not because we look at ourselves, but we look at the one who's been sent into ourselves. We look at the spirit and say, this is how I can put to death my old habits. I can put in the ground those temptations, those fallings, those failings. I can have victory. Oh, Father, I pray that you would break the chains of some addictions this week, some habits this week, some unholy behaviors this week. I pray you do that. And Father, for those that aren't yet following you, oh, Father, I pray I pray that they take Jesus seriously. I pray, Father, they'd have certainty. Just as they explore all the big decisions of their life, there's no bigger decision than this. To reject or to follow, there's only two options. To ignore is to reject. To be indifferent is to reject. To not take serious is to reject. And oh, the utter consequences. Oh, the eternal consequences. Oh, Father. I pray this week they would get serious. Serious about the claims of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that they would give their life to following him. I think that's the way to go. But Father, I want them to know with certainty, to explore in a sober way and know for certain the decision that they want to make. Father, be with them this week as well. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed from this service.